we are all in the in the really in a learning stage. As lawyers, we learn from our clients on the technical side, and then when some legal issues, legal problems happens, then lawyers they will well, we will need to think of new measures to tackle the problem that happens to others. But we need to protect our clients. So what kind of protection we need to build in? You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. Digital assets and cryptocurrencies have certainly exploded in popularity. And at the same time, they bring up a number of unique legal issues. We're delighted today to be joined by Machuana Chu, partner at Deakins, the Hong Kong hometown law firm, as well as my colleague, Anna Liu, who is head of legal at Hashkey Group. Today, we're going to explore crypto and the law and some of the new issues coming out in legal uh, regarding this new asset class, as well as the other challenges of adapting to new technologies in fintech. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy. I'm joined uh, in the booth with uh, two professional lawyers, and our topic today is crypto and the law. We're talking about a, a relatively fast-moving asset class, yet it is being used in more and more commercial transactions. So we're going to look behind the scenes about the, the legal issues that surround crypto and digital assets. Uh, joining us today is Machuana Chu. She's a partner at Deakins, which is one of the largest Hong Kong full-service law firms. Actually, Deakins is kind of the hometown firm for Hong Kong. Uh, Machuana specializes in cross-border M&A and investments, and her practice has a particular focus on new economy tech sector. She advises on projects involving virtual assets, including ICOs, subscriptions of future tokens, and cryptocurrency exchanges. Machuana Chu was ranked among the leading lawyers in corporate M&A in China by Chambers Asia Pacific from 2019 to 2021. I am also thrilled to be joined in the booth by my colleague, Anna Liu. She is head of legal at Hashkey Group. Anna has a focus on financial innovation, fintech, and communications. She has practiced in investment funds in Hong Kong and overseas capital markets. Before joining Hashkey, she was a senior legal counsel at Tencent. Welcome, Machuana. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for Crypto joining Savvy us at Crypto today. Savvy today. Thanks for Thank having you, Order. Machuana and Anna, you both have decades experience practicing traditional law for, <laughs> with a focus on cross-border M&As, private equity, and other areas. Yet one of your responsibilities in your current role include crypto legal and regulatory advisory. As lawyers focused on the traditional corporate finance side of things, how is the experience of learning all the intricacies of the nascent crypto space look like back then? Back then, did you find it difficult to uh, comprehend this asset class and how the wider industry worked, Machuana? Yeah, I wouldn't say the experience is difficult, but it's certainly very exciting. 
Uh, right, because laws are meant to be an evolving concept, right? Because what the, the law set all the regulations and regulates people's behavior, and it should be evolving to accommodate new development in technologies. So I think in the past few years, with all the fintech development, crypto development, it has been extremely exciting. Uh, apparently, in terms of learning, learning, applying the law into the new economy technologies, it's not, it's not that straightforward because it's not by the book. We don't have a particular regulations yet, particularly on cryptocurrency or virtual assets. So, but but I mean, uh, very often is we have new development in technology, and we have seen I mean waves of technology in the past decades. So the law just need to catch up. But before we have specific regulations regulating a particular sector, it doesn't mean that it's not regulated. The, the general, the broader framework of law still apply. So it's just a matter of applying the existing legal requirements into the new technology and the, into the new asset class, as you said, which is a very, very exciting process. And Anna, why is it important for people entering this space to build a basic understanding of the legal framework and issues surrounding cryptocurrencies? Without a basic uh, understanding of the uh, legal framework, I, I think it's uh, very difficult to uh, tackle to the specific question. Uh, actually. I think uh, for all the practitioners uh, in this area, um, not only from the like business operators, but also the um, investors, uh, potential investors uh, in this new area, we both uh, need this uh, like the, to build up a basic legal understanding. Uh, I think for uh, business op uh, operators, you need to clearly understand where's the like what can be done and what cannot. So you need to be aware of uh, where's the line and you're, you need to make sure that you won't cross the line when operate the whole business. And for, um, I think investors, that's uh, more uh, straightforward because you need to identify what you are invested in and what are the potential risks uh, along alongside. So uh, without building the like a basic legal understanding, I don't think it's uh, yeah, easy to achieve that. No, and you know, uh, lawyers are usually what we would call the first line of defense. The the people that the senior executives come to for um, uh, questions. Uh, so I, I've always wondered, how do you obtain information in such a fast-moving space? Uh, you know, uh, Matuana, how are you keeping abreast of the fast-moving world of virtual assets? This space is certainly fast-moving. I mean, comparing to other disciplines of law. Uh, we certainly need to keep up to date. Uh, apparently, I mean, with the internet, we, we need to keep up with all the news and development. And also, um, the interesting part is we are also part of the development because the whole the whole crypto world is so new. And we work together with the regulators to, to give it back. And we are shaping the space, especially on tokenization that we are going to talk in a, in a, in a bit. So uh, yeah, we just need to keep our mind open and I mean, hearing what are the development in other countries, what are the pro uh, potential problems, what are the issues that we should be focused on and that we, we need to work together. Okay, and Anna, your 
in-house uh, at a end-to-end digital asset financial services firm. Uh, we cover a lot of ground at Hashkey Group. How do you keep abreast of all of these developments and changes? Yeah, I think uh, working in a digital uh, company like us would be an advantage. I think uh, I totally agree with uh, what Mashiana just said. Um, so I think it's really important to, I mean, to to keep pace with the like the regulators, uh, so uh, so the regulation dynamics and also the development of the whole like the industry. So uh, by achieving that, I I think we need to uh, keep a close eye on, for example, the regulators' website. So uh, whether they will issue any. Uh, press release and also uh, I think we will pay attention to like law firms newsletters mm -hmm. so which also give us a quite uh, good uh, inspiration and uh, besides as an advantage when working in a crypto firm I can discuss with my colleagues because uh, we got expert uh, in this area so uh, not just for analysis uh, and, and but also like the so the researchers and um, so other like uh, young uh, talent in this area. So through daily discussion, I think um, I, I will again just uh, learn more from them. Right. Okay. Well, we touched on regulation, and it, it's been an ongoing discussion in the space. We're more than a decade into Bitcoin's founding, yet we still haven't seemed to reach universal agreement on what kind of regulatory structure should be in place. Do you think regulation is necessary in order for crypto to move forward? And how can regulators get the get the right framework in mind? Uh, uh, Anakin, is that something you have a view on? Yeah. Well, in terms of the universal agreement, well, actually, I, I think that's a very, uh, I, I think a like a, a, a good uh, expectation, a, a beautiful dream. But uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think that's what we're expecting because uh, uh, I don't think that all uh, so regulators all over the world, they will make the same rules to govern like uh, even a, just one matter. Because uh, I think the regulators might consider the like national considerations uh, and also perhaps the ideologies to make the suitable rules to govern like uh, a specific a specific matter in one jurisdiction. However, uh, I think uh, uh, through the past decades, uh, we see that for like the emerging areas, um, regulators from all over the world they can work collaboratively to uh, just try to find a balance and to create more uh, like chunks or like uh, boundaries for uh, like the open industry and uh, to like encourage the open competition. So I think that's what uh, we expected in um, so this crypto area as well. I think uh, during the past two years, so uh, especially under this COVID-19 pandemic, so more and more people, uh, I, th I think they are realizing the benefits of uh, so cryptocurrency. This should be a trend and I think uh, no one could deny. So uh, I would expect that um, the regulators can uh, maybe uh, have a like inclusive and open dialogue with the industry and know, uh, just hear the voice from the industry and to just make the like proper rules uh, on this. Okay. Well, um, Matruana, both regulated and unregulated exchanges are inherently crypto exchanges where investors can buy, sell, and trade 
digital assets all the same on these platforms. From a user or investor point of view, what are some of the benefits and drawbacks of using both types of exchanges? The SFC has um, high expectation, high requirement of uh, the, I mean, from the automated exchange that are regulated by them. So at the moment, if the virtual assets are uh, uh, securities or constitute securities, I mean, by reference to its features, then it needs to be regulated as, uh, as security and fall within the securities regulatory regime. So um, as I said, because SFC has high standard of requirements of these automated exchange, uh, users using automated exchange, they have the benefit of the exchange conducting due diligence against the virtual assets. It has very high requirement on the disclosure of the features and the benefits uh, of the underlying virtual assets. And also, uh, SFC require exchange regulated by them to take suitable measures to, um, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, detecting market manipulation or abusive activities like that. So I think as, as user of a regulated exchange, apparently it is being protected because SFC has already, it has fit and proper requirements and it has imposed a lot of requirements, making sure that uh, exchanges regulated by them are conducted in a, in a, in a proper way. So on the but I mean uh, at the moment uh, in the current regime uh, as a uh, uh, regulated exchange by the SFC they they can only deal with professional investors. So I think uh, for uh, retail investors uh, they at the moment they they do not have the benefit of dealing with regulated uh, regulated uh, exchanges yet. So I think what they need to be aware of is they need to conduct due diligence themselves, understand who you are dealing with, mm -hmm. and also uh, I mean in terms you need to be really uh, careful in terms of the uh, white paper, what are the features, and, and and knowing your rights before you make an investment. Right now, Hashkey Group is. A applying for relevant regulatory license under the SFC in order to be a regulated digital asset exchange here in Hong Kong. What does it mean to be a regulated exchange and how is that different from an unregulated exchange? Well, I, I think uh, so being a regulated exchange, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, so putting it in a simple way is uh, to be a licensed entity. I mean, uh, for uh, so uh, under the like the uh, SFC uh, regulatory uh, region. So uh, typically, um, I think in Hong Kong, the uh, the SFC requires a uh, virtual asset exchange to obtain a Type One license and a Type Seven license uh, to be regulated. So, uh, becoming a regulated or licensed uh, exchange means that it will need to comply with the uh, stringent uh, requirements uh, standard in terms of the like compliance and uh, also the um, the, uh, the operations. So, uh, in many aspects, uh, not only the like AML KYC requirements, uh, but also some aspect like uh, IT securities, uh, asset segre uh, segregation, extra extra. So, um, I, I think. Uh, Licensed exchange is also under strict uh, scrutinization uh, by the SFC in um, the day-to-day -day, um, so operations. I think the uh, the purpose of uh, to of this uh, like 
uh, rules and the, the supervisions is to give the investors more protection. So from a, a practical standpoint, I think investors will feel uh, more confident and also more protected by trading with uh, such a regulated uh, exchange. That's why I think uh, so Hashkey is uh, dedicated to conducting uh, I think this uh, licensing application and also putting a lot of resources in um, so in being regulated. So uh, I think all is to give like protection, uh, enough protection to the investors. Yeah, no, I've been been with Hashkey Group a little <laughs> over a year and a half, and I've noticed uh, uh, the day-to-day -day change in our procedures and approaches from facial ID to get in the door to ensuring the um, IT protocols are met. So it, it's, it's great to see. And those are all protections for uh, clients and investors. Now, um, we... Want, I want to shift for a minute, and I want to start talking about another aspect of law, which is contract law. And why is contract law so important? Because we want to start talking about tokenization. Um, and to begin, um, you know, I understand there are two main types of tokens that can be created as investments, a utility token and a security token. What are, Machuana, what are their differences in terms of structure, ownership and tokenomics? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are in this space many tokens like utility tokens, um, uh, uh, securities tokens, payment tokens, but I think utility and the securities tokens are the two main types that people are interested and often uh, uh, spoken about. Utility tokens basically is for utility, as you can imagine. Uh, so basically, it is used exclusively most of the time for a particular purpose or for use in a particular platform or for buying services or buying goods in a particular platform. So that is a utility token. It should not bear any investment features you know, by and, nature. And I might just, um, for the listeners who are trying to conceptualize this, um, and apologies, I've been in the industry two years, but it's only recently I learned that Ether is a utility token and it allows you to buy services on the Ethereum blockchain. So if you want to issue an NFT, you have to write that contract onto the blockchain and there is an expense for the computers who do that contract. So Ether would be a utility, utility token. token. And yeah, people also call it a payment token because people have because they have confidence in that blockchain and it is so commonly used just like ether or bitcoin to be a payment medium of payment but it was invented as a utility to allow you to use that blockchain and um, has taken on a life so so i get utility token but what's a security token security token um as indicated in the name is a type of security so it is basically a fractionalized digital representation of security. So uh, we just need to look at it as any other kind of investment because very often it bears the features of an investment that means it is capable of uh, yielding income. It usually comes with a stream of income stream by weight of dividend or other distribution. And also the value of the token apparently can appreciate and all also depreciate. You know, I was talking uh, yesterday uh, with, uh, e yesterday evening, uh, the difference between say an IPO and a security token, if I'm a shipping company, uh, an IPO, I would make an offer of my whole company. Whereas if I have a security token, I might be able to tokenize a ship 
or a shipping route, or perhaps the trade receivables tied to that. Is that that gives security tokens a little bit more flexibility? Am I? Yeah, I think, I think you're understanding absolutely correct. Security token is very often tied to a particular piece of asset that you want to create liquidity around it. It's not so easy to, I mean, if you, for example, in your example, if we are dealing uh, a ship or the copyright of a movie, it's not that easy to raise funds. I mean, to fund the, fund, fund the development or the, the operations of that asset. So uh, tokenization has the benefit and the beauty of breaking it down and then fractionalize it. And then you can, through tokenization, through an automatic platform, through the block, blockchain, you can get access to, I mean, uh, many more times of investors. Investors, so and the uh, then the trading is so easy, so transparent and standardized. So uh, that's that's the beauty of tokenization. No, um, I just want to go back. You mentioned you can tokenize a film. Uh, what? Where's the income in that? Oh, I, actually, I I have a client. They they invest. They hold. They invest in um, IP rights in movies. I'm actually talking to them on tokenization, which I think is is fantastic. Uh, and actually, there are other film companies doing that. So what they do is you can tokenize the IP rights of a film. So what you own is you own a fraction of the of the of the IP rights. And the income stream is very often for for movie. You put it on Netflix. You put it on other platform, and you receive income stream. You receive royalties because people play it, and then you receive income. And the income is supposed to be continuous through a period of time. We still watch movies 20 years ago, right? Um, we, we still, I mean, uh, the, the movie owner still receiving income. So, so that the is people who works. made Breakfast Club are still making money out of that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, Anna, um, I know that if you're going to the Hong Kong Exchange you uh, to do an IPO, you would have to deal with a listing committee and criteria. Well, how is it the same at a regulated digital asset exchange, or how is it different? Well, I, I think uh, so. Uh, if we're talking about a STO, so say uh, security so, token yeah, offering. Se- yeah, security no, token. No, no acronyms on my show. <laughs> <laughs> sure, security tokens offering. So definitely, uh, it will got uh, strict uh, procedures, and um, I think the process and procedures and requirements to uh, to get successful listed on uh, an uh, regulated exchange. So this is to I mean compare with the un. Like uh, so, uh, listing of a uh, like utility token. So which uh, which means that so the STO so uh, security uh, token offering got a like a longer process and higher requirements, but uh, it will be like less uh, strict. I mean the process will be uh, compared with the traditional uh, IPO, because currently I think the uh, so the IPO market is quite uh, mature and uh, we have uh, like uh, rules and regulations. Uh, Adopted by different uh, regulators uh, to govern the relevant um, so capital market. So all the rules, uh, I think you, you just need to follow the rules uh, and before getting listed. But for an uh, I think an STO, uh, 
uh, although it got uh, like a higher requirement, but uh, I think it still highly depends on the regulated exchange's internal uh, policies and procedures. Although the policies and procedures needs to be made according to uh, relevant regulators' requirement, but still it has larger flexibility. Yeah. Now, Matriana, is it Legal for in Hong Kong for companies or projects to sell or raise forms in the form of utility tokens and security tokens today? I think it's not a question of whether it's legal or, lo- or not, but how do we do it in a legal way? Uh, for utility token, as long as it doesn't constitute securities at the moment, the, the transaction, the buy and sell, the transaction of utility token is not falling within the SFC regulatory regime. Uh, however, I think the correct understanding is it doesn't mean that it is not regulated or it doesn't have to comply with any law because we have we still have the broader framework of laws in Hong Kong is still subject to other kinds of law like data privacy, cybersecurity, fraud, so uh, and tax laws, right? So, um, uh, so, so that that's the way to look at it. And for security tokens, apparently, uh, securities token offering, transaction, and also marketing, all all these are falling within within the SFC uh, regulatory regime. And very typically, security tokens are uh, transacted over blockchain. So automated uh, uh, list, uh, automated platform, trading platform are also regulated under Type Seven. No. In 2017, there were quite a large number of ICOs or initial coin offerings. And how is that different from an STO? Uh, because it sounds, uh, maybe it's just the S, the security token offering. Much on back, back in around that time, a lot of tokens are really utility tokens. Because I have dealt with a number of ICO advised them, uh, looked at the white paper. They are all very innovative ideas. Uh, about uh, about using creating tokens in the platform, for example, like uh, using in uh, calling taxi, calling taxi, or using it to buy food or enjoying music in a particular platform. So at that time, there were a lot of innovative ideas about how to how to use the the currency and the and and at that time, uh, a, a system has also been developed in terms of how to raise funds through ICOs. Uh, but nowadays, I think the concept of uh, cryptocurrency has really evolved, and because uh, there are a lot of regulations uh, released, I mean, around the world around this, and people have started to make use of the tokenization concept to really, really uh, build it. I mean, use it in the professional investment field. So it it creates the concept of securities tokens that you it is actually an investment. So it has evolved from merely using, I mean, use of the token in a particular blockchain to enjoy music to, I mean, to the, in the professional investment field because security tokens, it bears uh, interest, it bears dividend. So, and the token, it's also, uh, when, you, when you're a holder of a security token, it comes with certain rights embedded in that tokens uh, for investment purpose. Okay, um, well, let's uh, approach a security token from two perspectives. First, as a potential investor, and then second, uh, as a potential asset owner. So, if I am an investor, um, how do I approach and evaluate uh, 
an STO. We've defined it already. Um, and what kind of due diligence should I do? Anna, is there any, uh, any advice you can provide for people looking at STO offerings? Well, uh, yes, uh, I think it's uh, so. Uh, I think for the first step, it's important to identify so whether so the nature of the token being offered. So see whether it's a utility token as the um, so securities token. So I think the dis uh, the distinct uh, like the distinction was just uh, like mentioned by uh, Mashiana before. So. Uh, because uh, uh, I think uh, to identify the nature of the token, you will need what uh, type of uh, ownership or like the the, the usage of the token uh, you will have after becoming a holder of that token. Okay, and if I am a business, uh, so let's go to either your film company or my hypothetical shipping company, Manchano, I'm I'm keen to learn more or to better understand this, what are some of the first steps you advise potential issuers? To start with, I think um, we need to identify the assets, identify the assets that we want to tokenize. And then as a second step, we need to think about the tokenomics, that's what we call. Uh, very often we get an advisor to advise us in, in terms of the tokenization process, meaning by tokenization, for example, in your example, tokenize a ship. So uh, how do we do it? What is our target size of fundraising? How many tokens do we, do we mint or do we circulate? And, and uh, how, how, how people can subscribe, right? So that is the tokenomics and, and what, kind of, what kind of benefits are we offering because at the end of the day, it is an investment. So we need to, in our, write, in our white paper, I will talk about it in a bit, in our white paper, that is essentially like a traditional PPM meaning or by nature. PPM the, means? PPM meaning investment, uh, professional investment. Uh, Perspective. Uh, pr uh, memorandum. Okay, yeah. thank you. So, uh, but essentially, you need to have the white paper or piece of paper, but basically write down what you are going to get as a token holder, what kind of benefits or dividend that you will be entitled to, and or, I mean, risk disclosures about the, the tokenization, the tokens, and at what events that you, the tokens may be redeemed or may be canceled. So all these terms and conditions uh, is, is, is will be written in a, in a, in a, in a form called a white paper. So uh, and then and then the next step is to line up the, the players. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, after after you have developed a concept of tokenizing an asset, you need to implement that. So you need partners, you need lawyers to vet the structure. You need apparently need tax advisors and also financial advisors. You need a very reliable uh, technology platform to mint your tokens and for it to be circulated. Uh, you need a very reliable listing platform as well. Depending on the assets, uh, you need to find a custodian, very likely, or investment manager to manage your assets. So making sure all the promises of future dividends are happening in the way that it was uh, it was planned. Okay, very good. Anna, we were talking about um, better understanding tokenization. Is there are there resources that Hashkey Group has? How do you learn more about this? Well, I think it's a quite a new uh, area. So. Uh, 
yeah, basically, uh, I think it's just uh, like the same approach. Uh, just uh, I think we uh, mentioned earlier. So we pay attention to the latest development of the like the news, uh, and also we discuss with our colleagues to get more. And uh, I think in Hashkey, uh, we got the advantage because we got a team uh, like working for this tokenization. Well. Uh, yeah, we, we got a very big plan, uh, but uh, I think before that, uh, so we, we need to form a group of uh, professional uh, so service providers and uh, and also identify so relevant uh, business owners that has an interest in like tokenize uh, their like valuable asset. So by putting up all this together, can we uh, achieve the final goal? Fantastic. Well, um, it sounds like you need a good background in contract law in order to work in tokenization. Um, I've heard of contracts. I've heard of smart contracts. Uh, what's the difference? I would say by nature, by nature, these are, uh, is, is, is goes back to offer and acceptance and consideration, really basic terms of contract law. I mean, in the traditional sense, we see contract as a piece of paper that both parties sign, the buyer, seller signs for consideration, consideration passed, contract completed. But actually, from a legal perspective, a contract doesn't need to be in writing. So uh, I can enter into a contract with you orally, but, but it's just that without a piece of paper, then it's difficult to prove. So it, it's, it's on the evidential side that it's most likely is on a piece of paper. Smart contract is through the black blockchain environment, through the actions of the parties, a, uh, a, a buy, buy, sell, or a transaction happens. So it's not in a piece of, it's not recorded in a piece of paper, but instead is recorded in the blockchain. Right. So when we spoke earlier about, say, the copyright or the um, ship or the uh, ownership rights, all of that contract gets then written onto the chain and becomes tied to that token for the life of that token. So it's uh, it's always discoverable. Yes, exactly. So I think that's the that's the beauty of tokenization. Uh, one important element is transparencies. So all these all these uh, all these features are embedded into the token, including your rights, your voting rights, and also your I mean the, the right to transfer and also the right to entitle to dividends. And it can also disseminate information through the blockchain. So uh, it makes things really really. Uh, it's interesting to say that it's a decentralized network, but it's also very centralized in, in terms of information exchange. Fantastic. Now, um, Anna, how did you make the uh, switch yourself from traditional law into digital law? And what do you, what's your advice to uh, younger lawyers out there who are evaluating this field? So uh, I think uh, so with the traditional uh, so experience so experience in traditional legal practice area definitely will be a good foundation because uh, so uh, actually that builds your like uh, so how the way you think uh, and how the way like you you learn and you study and although at the beginning you will find uh, so legal matters in a blockchain in crypto uh, very difficult but uh, with uh, I, I think with the sufficient time uh, I mean conducted in legal research uh, and also with the passion uh, that uh, and also the enthusiasm you have in this blockchain uh, area I, I think all those uh, questions will be solved and you could uh, easily comprehend what you're doing and uh, that the I think the process could be long but uh, like with your interest you will also find it's joyful
Fantastic. And Matruano, are there any um, uh, trends you're watching that may influence uh, crypto and digital asset law in the coming years? Uh, I think the whole space is really, really evolving. And, very uh, dynamic. Uh, very dynamic, absolutely. And every day there, there are good news. And I think that we are all in the, in the, really in a learning stage. As lawyers, we learn from our clients on the technical side. And then when some legal issues, legal problems happen, Happens, then lawyers they will, will we will need to think of new measures to tackle the problem that happens to other but we need to protect our clients so what kind of protection we need to build in so that the whole thing is really really dynamic and also really fluid as well well um, I do want to thank you both for appearing on the podcast and uh, those of you who are listening and you're wanting to know more about this uh, about the tokenization in the future please go to hashkey.com backslash tokenization and even though I sound like an American, we spell tokenization with an S, not a Z. Um, and there's more information available there. Plus, we also have on Hashkey Academy an online course on tokenization. So um, thank you both for joining us on Crypto Savvy. Uh, crypto and the law is a fast-changing area, and you've really brought a lot of sense to it. So I appreciate that. And thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. We certainly benefit from experienced legal minds sharing with us how crypto is impacting the law. There are so many challenges, so many changes, and yet Machuana Chu from Deacons and Anna Liu from Hashkey Group were able to effortlessly guide us through those. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. And wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe and like and share if you can. This is Crypto Savvy. Thank you for listening. I'm Walter Jennings of Hashkey Group. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials brought to you by Hashkey Group.